0: rational discussion common sense open debate rcr reality check radio with paul brennan i want to welcome matt taylor um, the director of the intergenerational program at the center for independent studies focusing on intergenerational inequality and fiscal burden of government policy on future generations and most recently Matt held a research position at the Centre for Social Research and Methods at the Australian National University. He's currently a PhD candidate at the Crawford School of Public Policy at the ANU and previously at CIS from 2014 to 15, working on all sorts of things. But we're here to talk specifically with Matt. Welcome, Matt, by the way. Nice to have you on the program. Thanks for coming in from Canberra. Be with you. Okay, so this is. This study that, um, that you've done, uh, Generation Left, Young Voters Are Deserting the Right, which is on the Centre of Independent Studies website. I'm looking at it now. What made you want to look into that?
1: Um, well, I mean, we're a classical liberal think tank. Um, we, we're not aligned with the Liberal Party in Australia, who I guess is probably a little bit like your uh, national over there. Um, so we're kind of interested in you know how do you keep classical liberal um ideas alive um so i guess we we have an interest in you know political parties that um that you know on average at least have policies that are consistent with um with our ideology um so we in twenty twenty two we had an election and uh the coalition uh which is a co- uh, a coalition between the liberal party and uh the national party. Um, so the national party um represents sort of regional interests and the liberal party um is sort of a, a center-right political party so um when you vote for uh the coalition you know that the head of the uh the leader of the liberal party is going to be the prime minister if they should be able to form government and the deputy prime minister will be from the the national party so um in may 2022 they'd been in power for three terms and that government came to an end and there was sort of a a lot of commentary at the time around, you know, would we see a coalition government again, you know, how are they going to regroup and and come back to power? Um, And I suppose a lot of the polling around this time showed um, voters under the age of 35 um, have particularly soft support for the coalition. In fact, um, in the under-35 age group, the primary vote for the Australian Greens is higher than what it is for the Coalition. Um, So I kind of wanted to look back over um, voting patterns in the past and sort of get a sense of how people, or or whether it is the case, that people's voting behaviour changes over their life course. Um, You've probably heard the old um, political saying that's often attributed to Winston Churchill, you know, if you're not a Liberal when you're 20, you've got no heart, if you're not a Conservative by 40, you've got no head. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yep. And I guess that's sort of, to some extent, borne out in the Australian data. Uh, when, when baby boomers entered the electorate, um, they were less inclined to vote for the coalition um, than the average voter. Um, but once they reached their, their early 50s, they were sort of about equal with the, with the average voter. And at the most recently, the last election, they're 15.5 percentage points more likely to vote coalition than the average voter. Um, now Gen X that came along after them, um, basically following more or less the same pattern, um, crossing over in their in their early fifties, and because they're a bit younger than the Boomers, they're currently two point two percentage points more likely to vote Coalition. Um, but it seems for voters born after nineteen eighty in Australia, things are very very different. Uh, so us us Millennials, so I'm sort of on on the border of Gen X and Millennial myself, but we. Entered the electorate with softer support for the coalition compared to um, Gen X and Boomers, and we haven't sort of we've sort of shifted a little bit towards the coalition as we've gotten older, but not a great deal. Nowhere near to the the extent that the older generations did.
0: So um, how do we how do we explain though that shift? You know, interesting hearing that that Churchill quote, and I would agree with that. And I'm kind of in that because uh, I'm end of the the baby boomer generation, uh, I can relate to that. But why do you think? Um, that that kind of sentiment or factor has ebbed away?
1: Um, so if you look at the political science literature on this, it suggests that one of the contributing factors that sort of sends you over the ride as you get a bit older is the accumulation of assets and home ownership in particular. Yeah. Um, and the home ownership rates of uh, millennials in our um, later thirties is below sixty percent, whereas for the boomers in that age group when they were that age, it was um closer to seventy five percent so I guess us millennials we're taking longer to get into the housing market we're having children later we a lot of us spent our early twenties um in you know study university, so I guess we're a generation that's perhaps taking a little bit longer to get all those um sort of hallmarks of, of adulthood, or we're getting them later, I
0: suppose. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I suppose to just sort of summarise it, you might say our, our social age at a given chronological age is perhaps a little bit different to what it was for um, the boomers who, when they were in their late 30s, probably had children that were a bit older, were definitely in the housing market. Uh, so I think that's got to be part of the story. Um, but uh, Gen- Generation Z, the one that comes after millennials, just look completely different. They entered the the electorate with historically low levels of support um, for the coalition, and they're actually shifting further away from the coalition as they enter their mid to late 20s. They're going in the opposite direction. Um, so I kind of wanted to... So I guess there's a certain amount of political science literature um, across a number of different countries that sort of sees this pattern, but what the academics don't do is is give you a sense of to what extent this stuff matters politically. Because, yeah. like, if it shifts one or two seats in a, an election, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter all that much. It's just, you know, it's it's interesting, it's kind of curious, but it might not matter in the grand scheme of things. Um So what I did was I combined these relationships I see in the election studies um, with... Um, The the projected generational demography of Australia, our Australian Bureau of Statistics, like a similar to your statistics, New Zealand, they put together population projections. So I was able to sort of look at the the age distribution in individual electorates and get a sense of how that's going to change out to 2040 Um, and then sort of combine it with these sort of age centre-right voting patterns you see in the data and sort of try and get a sense of how this could play out politically. Um, well, it's,
0: it's, it seems quite inevitable, doesn't it? I mean, it, it it seems like one hell of a trend and nothing is changing, you know, um, in terms of some of the uh, things you mentioned there, in terms of, you know, home ownership and consolidation of wealth, families, et cetera. That's always being pushed ahead. So can't see that changing anytime soon.
1: But I think in the coming years, millennials are going to inherit an, um unprecedented levels of housing wealth from their boomer parents. Um, okay. That's so a good is, point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah
1: so, so there's some people who who think, well, you know, that as, as millennials become, although, you know, obviously getting the housing market at the moment in Australia, especially in some of the capital cities is really, really tough. Um, as those inheritances occur, maybe that'll sort of shift some of them to the right. But if I was a, uh, a centre-right politician wanting to get back on the treasury benches, I'm not sure I'd just sit back and you know, it'd be like, oh, well, it's okay. The inheritances will solve it because they they could well not. Um, yeah. So and so I sort of took this to so looking across the how the generational demography is going to change. Um, I mean, at, at the moment, um, boomers and uh, Gen X, who are the sort of the coalition-friendly generations on average, uh, if you want to call them that. Um, they the next election, they're going to be about forty-five percent of the electorate. Uh, whereas millennials and Gen Z make up about 48%. Um, once you get up to 2040, uh, you, your pro boomer, sorry, you, your pro coalition generations are going to make up less than a third of voters. Whereas if you take millennials, Gen Z, and the generation that's going to follow Gen Z, they'll make up about three quarters of the electorate. So if you're a political party that wants to get back into power, you ideally you want to be You want to have a reasonable amount of support right across the generations. You don't want to be the political party that's um, reliant on high levels of support amongst these generations that, not to put too fine a point on it, might not have a whole heap of elections left in them. And that's kind of the challenge that the coalition faces at the moment is. um, So I I kind of look at a few different scenarios. I, I look at, well. You know, if, if the coalition was just going to leave the historically low support amongst Gen Z where it is and not do anything about it, um, you know, can you increase your support amongst uh, boomers, Gen X, and, and millennials to try and get back to power? And when what I find is you basically can't do that. Like the, the magnitude that you would have to shift the support of those generations to, to compensate for a low support amongst the younger generations. You, you, there's just no precedent for shifting support at, at those rates, so as the 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 conclusion of the report is there there's probably a path back to power for the coalition and that the that road goes through millennials and Gen Z. it doesn't go around them they've they've got to do something about this
0: so so they have to move to or appear to be or somehow um uh, design the messaging, I don't know the marketing, the messaging to appeal more what to the left but still trying to stay philosophically right of center it sounds like a very difficult sell job actually
1: i mean i'm I'm not a political strategist so I, i'm not exactly sure what the way out of this for them is but i don't think they can really afford to compromise on their principles i, I think the the message out of this is they need to persuade these younger generation um, that I mean, I mean, maybe some of the answer is shifting on some issues, but I think ultimately, well, well appearing to shift,
0: appearing to shift, rather than actually yeah. shifting, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Like, because I mean, you, I think Australians, by and large, vote for conviction. Like, if you abandon your principles, then I think the punt has become very, very suspicious of you. Um, so I think it's it's more a case of, you know, trying to make the case better than what they have, or, or making it. Um, in a way that's more accessible and more appealing to the younger voters.
0: And it appears that um, the sort of left are far more in control of the media, which makes a big difference, right?
1: Yeah, not, I think that's probably broadly true in Australia. Um, although it to some extent what sort of media you're talking about. Well, mainstream. Uh, I'd like to mainstream. probably say our print media in Australia is probably. Um, more centrist, and then you have got sort of social media on top of that. I guess one of the, the one of the big differences between the generations is, um, I guess, a lot of boomers consume sort of the traditional media because that's sort of what they grew up with. Whereas you've got Generation Z who they have no memory of a world before the internet. Um, like their their consumption of media is propagated much entirely. And I think um, certainly online there's more of a left-wing skew. And I suppose the other thing is um, something that happens in social media that, that was less true when that w- wasn't so much a thing is people sort of end up in these echo chambers where you've got algorithms curating material for you that um, that sort of reflects your sort of known prejudices, whereas I think in for the generations gone by, you know, you'd... You'd pick up the conservative broadsheet and the little left center broadsheet and you'd sort of you'd see both sides of the debate I think that's probably I think the younger generations are exposed to that um sort of less than what the older ones were
0: maybe I should have uh, put that in a, in, a, in another way that is it, it seems that um the you know the younger generations are more willing or more available to follow narratives actual narratives so they can be told a story and depending on how it's packaged up you know that they'll run with it climate change is a an example of that i mean any dissenting voice or any you know rational scientific argument going the other way seems to be you know pushed aside compared to the current narrative that maybe that was a factor for earlier generations but but it's definitely been something that's more obvious. Well, to someone like me, anyway, more lately, and that could, and that's a that's a thing that you've got to deal with as well. That's a very powerful thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a more or less consensus that the globe is warming, but I think the the what you do about that and how you respond to that and what costs you're prepared to bear, um, I think that's most certainly contestable. Yeah. Um,
0: and a yeah. conservative mindset is not so much listened to so much. In the battle of the narratives,
1: yeah, certainly the way that issue in particular is portrayed in the media here, yeah,
0: I, I do get a sense it is.
1: I, I think certain things get conflated. Like if you're if you're suggesting that you know a, a particular, you know, for want of a better word, green policy might not stack stack up economically, there's a tendency for you to be labelled as sort of a, a climate denier. Whereas yep. you know your position might be, no, I'm not denying that we have issue. I'm just saying that, you know, maybe some of the solutions being proposed might not be the the best approach.
0: And conservatives, it seems, because we're basically talking about the issue is for conservatives mainly, isn't it, is that they're kind of more um, standoffish and not so sort of strident in their commentary. And that's another another part of of the promotion of, of political policies and know political philosophies they're not as loud it seems to me
1: yeah perhaps not as loud on the mediums where gen z gets their um political commentary and their their policy analysis yeah i agree with that
0: yeah but that's that's what you got to deal with that's that's how it is now right
1: yeah exactly i mean if the center right wants to remain you know relevant going forward and and uh, get back into power at a federal level, these are the sorts of challenges they've got to face.
0: So what do you see the road ahead in the Australian situation you're dealing with? Because also, uh, I mean, we're interested, we have an election coming up and it's hard to know, you know, um, where the generations are lining up, but I I suspect they'll be similar to your findings in our own context. Uh, I mean, is there any hope for, in in the Australian uh, situation, the coalition parties to, well, get back into power again? Or would something have to go so horribly wrong to rock the um, younger voters to make them change the way they vote? I mean, how how do you think it's going to pan out when you look ahead?
1: I suppose that's sort of really what the paper's about i mean politics there's there's sort of these structural factors like generational demography changing that sort of occur in the background when then you've got your day-to-day politics where you know governments have wins or they make mistakes um but you know if, if you're an opposition that's kind of swimming against that demographic tide it's if you just sort of leave that be and it gets worse and worse, then you're sort of then becoming more and more reliant on bigger and bigger stuff-ups on the, the part of the incumbent. Um, and I guess in in, our, in the Australian context, you know, our, our House of Representatives is 151 seats. Um, so you need 76 seats to form a majority government. Um, and if you look back at it sort of... last 30 years of australian politics no opposition has got back to government from less than 60 seats so you don't want to be the opposition that's just sort of allowing this demographic shift to sort of keep chipping away at your your primary vote and your seat count because once you slip below 60 seats things become really difficult there's just no precedent for having a government stuff up to the point of getting an opposition in in that circumstance back to back to power
0: yeah, um, I'm thinking about Victoria because uh, we, we have a commentator who comes on from Victoria every uh, week, and usually Dan Andrews comes up. And I know this is getting a little bit uh, smaller, a little more focused than than the national sort of scale that you've been looking at. But it, it seems um, to some of us surprising that he has maintained the support he has given some of the things that have gone on in his state with him as, as Premier of the state. Um, is that an example of the shift then that we're talking about um with the generations and the way they vote. That someone like him can survive in in this sort of environment.
1: I mean I'm I'm not fully across what's going what's happening in Victoria. Um I'm certainly Well well there were the brutal lockdowns
0: that, and there's been, yeah, you know, yeah, numerous exactly. scandals, yeah. all those sorts of things. Yeah, the Yeah, yet he's won an election recently.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that certainly surprised me given, you know, the, the things that you, you've just alluded to. Um, to what extent that's generational or whether you've just got an opposition party there that, for, for whatever reason just doesn't have the, the confidence of the electorate. I'm, I'm just not sure. Um, I'm from, well, it's been a very long time since I've lived in Victoria, but that's, that's where I grew up. And I just kind of look at what's been going on there and. The last few years, and I'm I'm just as baffled as I think <laughs> okay. get every every centre right Australian who sort of you know looks at what's going on in Victoria. It's I, I just don't get it. I don't have any <laughs> to support You sorry.
0: Okay. Have you had any um, interaction then with the um, obviously uh, the the Liberal and National parties? They'll be aware of your data. Um, have you had any discussions with them? Uh, how are they going to approach this issue? Because it's, you know, it could keep them out of power for a long time, couldn't
1: it? Yeah, well, I I did have um, uh, someone fairly senior get in contact with me. I haven't um, had an opportunity to to sit down with them yet. But, um, yeah, I'm going to give some people some um, briefings on the research and also the the research I intend to do in the the future. So one of the things that what the next paper is going to be on is trying to get a sense of um, to, to what extent does this stuff, reflect a a fundamental change in the ideological positioning of younger generations? Or or is it just that the centre-right's not, um, the the Gen Z's just not sort of buying what the centre-right is selling on a a certain number of key issues that are very, very important to them? Um, Just trying to unpack how it is we got here is sort of what I want to do with future research.
0: Well, I've got millennial kids, and uh, my answer to that would be um and i know you just mentioned generation x but millennials they have changed there has been a change i'm telling you (laughs) there has they're very certain about which which way they go and i remember being young and idealistic and a left voter for a period of time but um even with with the age of my children i had left that pattern already so uh, i can see that um it's kind of entrenched.
1: Yeah, one of the um, so some of the data I'm looking at at the moment um, is questions on uh, it's to the effect of you know, on a scale of zero to ten, left to right, where do you you see yourself? And a lot of basically everyone likes to think of themselves as being the sensible centre. A lot of people, you know, tick the the middle of the spectrum. Um, but there there are differences across generations. Um, but the really interesting thing that I've found that surprised me anyway is. Um, for at least for boomers gen x and millennials it's pretty much a flat line as as we've gotten older so as, it's interesting because as the as the boom, as boomers and gen x through their support towards the coalition as they get got older they they they're saying that ideologically they haven't changed at all on average over their entire life course um so you've got you know boomers sort of admit to being sort of to the right of Gen X and millennials to the the left of Gen X. Um, But the Gen Z look really different. Like they're they're sort of quite open about the fact that they're shifting further and further to the left ideologically as they're getting older.
0: So they're actually admitting it. They're they're actually claiming that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I'm supposed to. I'd summarise the results by saying Gen Z's the only um, generation that's kind of being honest <laughs> to some <laughs> okay. extent. Like the, yeah. the, the, their voting behaviour, um, or, or their, their, their voting behaviour is sort of reflecting their self-reported ideological positioning. Um, whereas you know Gen X and Boomers sort of shifted to the right in terms of their voting behaviour, but claim that they haven't shifted ideologically. Whereas us millennials, um, we sort of barely shifted towards the coalition, and so I guess it's sort of fair enough that we're saying we haven't really shifted too much ideologically. But uh, yeah, no Gen Z, they're quite open about the fact they've they've moved to the left.
0: So that's quite um, a point of difference then
1: across the generations, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'd, I'd like to sort of try and unpack, you know, why why is that why is that generation sort of showing up as being sort of quite different?
0: Can I suggest that uh, the and this is an old timer talking now, crusty old timer. They're more brainwashable.
1: Oh, I, I don't know. If that's necessarily fair. I, I think maybe I'd I'd describe it as they've grown up in a context of quite different educational institutions, quite a different media environment. Um,
0: I think those have probably contributed. Yeah, that's what to that. I mean about the yeah. the brainwashable, and also they've grown up with a solid platform created by others that have given them the space and, and the the range of movement to indulge themselves.
1: Yeah, political scientists call this uh, post-materialist sort of ideology um, that part of what might have shaped the voting behaviours of the boomer generation and the generation before them was you know, having. Suppose growing up in the aftermath of a war and you know, some some significant structural changes that were occurring in the economy. Whereas millennials and Gen Z have grown up, if you put aside what happened in the the COVID period, have sort of grown up in an era of material prosperity. Um, I'm as a older as a zennial, sort of on the border of Gen X and millennial myself. Um, I, I'm old enough to remember what a recession looks like. We had a yeah, We had a pretty serious recession here in the, the early 1990s. We had double-digit unemployment, very, very high interest rates. People were losing their homes. Um, I can remember being in primary school and all that happening, whereas if you're a few years younger than me, you'd have no memory of anything like that. Um, and I think that probably shapes di- generation, different views the generations have on economic policy, certainly.
0: Well, in that case, that's probably what it's going to take to change the, you know, the course of travel, some, you know, recession or, or some economic hit that touches a lot of people. That's probably going to be the circuit breaker if you're looking for one.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I think that could be right. I mean, I'm, we're, we're certainly hoping that our central bank here has engineered a, a soft landing for us economically. Um, well, I suppose it's probably too early to say whether that's going to be the case or not. But yeah, if we had a, A deep recession here. It would be interesting to see how that would reshape the um, that would reshape the politics.
0: What's it like when you do you put in all the work and you gather up the data and you get the results? What's that like pouring it over pouring over it for the first time? And does it usually surprise you, or does it kind of track with what you thought you might get?
1: One of the things I love about my job is I kind of see myself in in the business of uncovering new facts. So there's there's a lot of work that goes into it, especially in a project like this, where um, I'm looking back over data that um, starts in 1967 and then sort of goes through to 2022. So the people who were running the Australian election survey in the late 60s were not the same people who were doing it uh, at the last election. So the the way the data is put together is very, very different. So um, sort of going through all of that and tidying it up is a a very, very big job. But um, once you've put in the many, many, many hours and lots of effort it takes to do that, you do then get to sort of see these things that no one else has seen before. And then um, I guess one of the ways working at a think tank differs from working at a university is that... um, you then go and share that with the world. You don't just you know put it in a journal article no one's going to read. You actually um release a report and try and get the media interested and then come on radio and talk to people like yourself about the research.
0: Okay, it's been out. No, we're always fascinated. Um, June 29th is the date I have on the piece I'm looking at on the website. What what sort of interest have you had then? Um after you, you published.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's got, like, a, a lot of media here. Um, I remember on the morning the report was released. So one of the nice things about being located in Canberra is I'm not that far from Parliament House and we have a press gallery there. So um, in the days leading up to the release of the report, I just sort of wandered around the press gallery, knocking on people's doors, going, mm. oh, you know, I've got this report coming out. Would, would you mind covering it? And that that morning, um, the people who I'd spoken to it all written it up, and I was like, "Oh no, that's that's not too bad." But um, you know, might have hoped for a little bit more. But then, of course, um, the calls from radio start coming in, and then you spend the rest of the day doing radio, and you got a bit of TV in the afternoon, um, in, in the in the evening. Um, and this is of all the research I've been involved in um, over the course of my career, I think this has probably gotten the most media. Um, and people like even a full month after. The release of the report some people are still referencing the report in, in op-eds um, it's been it's been quite a reception so um, yeah well if you're doing yeah. st-
0: strategic political planning you'd have to consider this data you'd have to
1: yeah i mean i, I think so i i guess the the main as i said you know the conclusion of the report is there's a path back to power for the centre right and that goes through millennials and gen z it, it doesn't go around them i think mm. i've sort of proven that i like to think i think that's now something that um something certainly uh, the journalists here understand and i think it's, um something that i think the the politicians are beginning to understand and hopefully that'll lead to some positive change and um, perhaps a bit more effort to reconnect with, um, you know, the younger generations.
0: Yeah. Like rebranding policies and, and rhetoric and, and all those things. It's really what it comes down to, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I think also like listening to, to younger Australians, like, you know, what, what are the issues that are important to them? Like I think for my generation, it's home ownership. I think for Gen Z, um, you know, we've got very high rental prices at the moment, and they're at that point, you know, in their lives where you know, not too many of them would be thinking about buying homes. Um, so that's obviously stuff that's really important to them. So I think housing policy is something that um, I think that's potentially a um, a winner for the centre right because that's right. sort of a supply side issue that sort of sits more comfortably within you know, like removing regulations and allowing developers to, you know, expand housing supply, I think that's that sort of fits within an economic framework where I think, you know, the centre-right has an advantage.
0: Um, Well, well, that's what was... This is interesting because our current Labour government, which is left of centre, obviously, they've been in power um, under MMP and a coalition, but also in their own right for the last two terms. And one of their big policies... Was to build a hundred thousand houses. They called it Kiwi Build, and that was very attractive to the electorate for the very reasons that you're talking about here. Obviously, but they never delivered on it. They never got there, but it certainly got them support. So that bears out exactly what you're saying.
1: Yeah, one of the issues we we have here is we've got in some parts of the country some really crazy heritage. Um, policies, like you can sort of hold up new developments, um, you know, and on all sorts of reasons that don't necessarily make sense. Um, Not in Western got,
0: Australia now. They've thrown that out, right?
1: Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't aware of that.
0: Um, yeah, I think they, they might have ditched that one. Any, um, yeah.
1: Like anything that's going to make housing sub- supply easier because, um, like, the, the left-wing political parties want to focus on things like um, you know, negative gearing and our capital gains tax um discount but when you look at the research literature on this those the impact of their those on house prices are just sort of fiddling around the edges like it's that's barely worth even thinking about whereas it's fundamentally supply it's um you know nimbies on on local councils holding up um development and i mean that's not necessarily even a partisan issue um like the that's yeah, there, there's some parts where it's, you know, Labor and Liberal councillors who are holding it up. There's other parts where it's um, Greens councillors that are, are holding it up. Um, yeah, I think we, we, we just need more supply. A colleague of mine did some um, research where he he estimated that um, uh, the the biggest part of the cost of building a new house in some parts of Australia, it's... It's not buying the land, it's the legal right to put a structure on the land, yeah, like that can be fifty and seventy percent of the cost of of building a a new dwelling and and that's just nuts and like you would then that's I suppose just a question of you know regulation of of housing markets like it's and fleecing
0: and fl- and fleecing for on compliance and that um that funds the bureaucracy, right so kind of need to circuit break that too.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I, mean, I think it's it's sort of tough for us here in Australia, at least like, because we're a, a federation. Like different levels of government look after different things. So you've got, even if you've got a federal government that wants to try and sort this issue, there's sort of less that they can really do about it because it's more of a local government, state government thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: um the the like the, the most obvious lever that a federal government can pull is you know reducing immigration, but then we've been using immigration to kind of paper over the fact that um microeconomic reform is too difficult in this country yeah. sadly um yeah. yeah microeconomic reform is is uh too difficult we want to keep our social security system solvent uh, like i'm i'm not anti-immigration mind you i can i think yeah. um i think it's great that people come here and, and you know get those opportunities, and there's lots of um, benefits for, for us as well. But um, part of the trade-off is that that does put a bit of heat in your, your housing market. But then if we had better regulation of our housing market, that wouldn't be a problem because we'd be able to be, build enough dwellings to to sustain those immigration inflows.
0: been really interesting uh, speaking with you, Matthew Taylor. And um, if people want to uh, look into this um, analysis, this report, it's on the... Uh, Center for Independent Studies website, cis.org.au. Thanks for making some time for us. Some stuff to think about there as we run up to this election and anticipate the future ones and, and where the patterns of voting might go. Thanks for having me on. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.